Good evening, friend. Welcome back to the front porch. My name is Dennis Rogers, and I'm joined as always by Michael Daniels. How's it going, Mike? It's going great, Dennis. It's going absolutely great. I'm exhausted, tired from my little trip, but uh, yeah, great. I mean, life's wonderful, right? Yep. We're in the peak of summer here. It's uh, 41 days till Gen Con. I yes, this is our thing. I did this last year, so why not? This is my this is my sweet spot of the year that happens. Sid, you know, goes off to her mom's for the summer, so I'm kind of just single bachelor guy with no one around. You're so. um, you're Tom Cruise in uh, what movie is that? Shoot, uh, Risky Business. Risky Business. He slides <laughs> in <laughs> on the <laughs> with his socks. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's great. I don't. I don't have to be responsible or show responsible, so I can like get up and I'm. Hey, I'm still on a Saturday, and like I'm still in my pajamas. I can stay in pajamas all day if mm-hmm, I want. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. that kind of stuff. Not that I do. I get up and do respectable stuff, but I also have like no rules on on things I do. I was just thinking today, like I need a new, I need a new uh, f- uh, filter for the air conditioner vent sure, thing, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then I was like, man, I got so much stuff to do. But now I can just if it's midnight, I just drive out. Nobody cares. I could, if it was said though, no, it's past your bedtime. Got to go to sleep. Got to do, yeah, things. Or uh, even more relevant, last night I got back and did game night, and uh, a lot of times right after games done, you know, we stay for like two to three minutes, maybe five minutes, and then head out because Sid's got to go to bed for school. Um, but like last night, I just stay until three in the morning, and we do what we do. We sit on the front porch. Oh talk, yeah, talk, like talk, you did that when uh, when I was in town. So yeah, right. You uh, you went on a little trip. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. You want to do a little bit of good times? Sure. Um, yeah. So I went to after we recorded last week. The next day, uh, Sid and I decided. Well, we didn't say we knew this a while back. But we went to New York City on a whirlwind adventure. Mm. Uh, no, we just we just went. Um, Sid loved it last time we went and. Did you like yeah, walk last... at the bottom of the frame while famous landmarks appeared and disappeared behind you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would that was awesome. That's what we did <laughs> the whole time. We got the first day. We got twenty four thousand steps. It was pretty wow, crazy. Nice. Yeah, it's it's great seeing my little health meter thing that says I have like you know six thousand steps one day, five thousand steps another. You know, I barely moved any steps the day before that, and all of a sudden twenty four thousand. <laughs> right, geez. right. Um. But I didn't, I was, we were just, we did that every day. It was, you know, 20,000 plus every day. And uh, not until that last day did I, did we really start to feel it. Even, even Sid was like, my feet are tingling there so, so much. <laughs> but, but it was good. We, we, um, we've been before, um, but this was a, you know, we didn't know what to expect, kind of, the, the last time we went and this time we knew and we really, had, really had enjoyed ourselves. Had you been to the ourselves. city before? Just once, okay. just once. And it, and it was a. You know, kind of a not planned thing either. We just went and kind of had some things we were going to do. Mm-hmm. This time we, this time we knew what to expect. And I remember you saying it, a lot more uh, your daughter had mapped out the subway stops, and you were yeah. going to do something, get sandwiches or something in every borough. Yeah, we we went to every borough, and we just the, the goal was to just do something in every borough, like have even if it's just buy a sandwich buy a pack of gum, a soda, or whatever. Mm-hmm. We just wanted to get out of the, the subway, see that little bit of whatever city or borough we were in, and then go along our merry way, uh, which we did do, and that nice. that's super cool. I'd never done that before. I've not been to all the boroughs. I mean, some of them, like Queens, there's not a whole lot to do there. Um, so we just kind of 
popped up and what it ended up being is a, a bathroom tour that lasted. Yeah. Like we had to go to the we had to go to the bathroom and in New York it's like a full time job to find a public restroom. Uh, so we went to we were in the Bronx and I won't go into detail about how many places we went, like McDonald's and Taco Bell, even and you couldn't get in them. Um and we so we're like, oh well we'll just go to the next place over in Queens and then they didn't have anything and yeah, it was kind of a epic tour. But anyway, we yeah, we we did. We went to um on the on the first day we went down we thought what we thought was gonna be the longest bit, and that's down at uh, Staten Island. But that was really fun, actually. We you have to take the ferry to get to Staten Island, which right. is which is uh it's free, which is neat. And there's hundreds and hundreds of people, it feels like, on each boat. Um but it's super cool. It goes right by the Statue of Liberty and it's just super fun. I could ride that thing back and forth all the time. So we went there, got out, literally bought a pack of gum at the station, and walked around a bit until the next one came when we went back to the to the mainland. Nice. But that was real fun. Um, the Bronx was easy because we went to Coney Island. Sure. And did that whole thing. It's, I like New York City a lot. Sid is in love with the place. But let me tell you, Coney Island is dirty as hell. Mm-hmm. Like, oh um, <laughs> I mean, it's not just, it's not just, I loved it. It's fun. It's really fun. I'm not discouraging people or anyone to go check Coney Island out. It's a cool experience. It really is. Especially if you remember anything of the eighties and nineties about going to the fairs and, and festivals mm-hmm. and stuff. It just mm-hmm. feels all like that with really fun rides all packed in together. It's, it was, it's pretty great, but the beach is like there, there is no holds barred on litter. Mm. It's so much litter. Yeah. So much litter. I was I was not we weren't gonna get on the sand because we're like, I don't want who knows what needles are gonna pop up in yeah. It's yeah. That bad. You'll be some of those oh. scenes from uh train spotting. Yeah. Seriously, it's it's kind of embarrassing. I've been to a lot of beaches. I'd like I like to think that I've you know, as many chance I can to get to a beach in any country or state, I will. Sure. And I've never seen one this bad. It's like somebody took two or three bags of trash and just kind of like blew them up in the wind so that they would go everywhere. Yeah. People just don't have, I just don't understand how you can go out with the, your family with your cooler and stuff and just throw the cans and leave them when you get up and leave. Were there it's people just, there? Oh yeah. There's tons of people, huh. um, but just tons of trash. It, it's no one respected when they got up and left to do anything but just leave your trash. They didn't even yeah. bother. I mean, you hit a, you know, I guess for a lot of people, you hit a point of like, why bother? But yeah, that's oh, it's bad. It's so bad. And then you can see just going down into the water, and you're like, wow, this is something you see on documentaries when they're trying to prove a point that this mm-hmm. is like we're littering the planet. Like, no, that's why you go to Coney Island, and you can be terrified about how humans are littering the planet. And, and I, yeah. I knew as a kid that littering was a problem, and we had it. You know, all those uh, PD was it public. Uh, service messages psa's about like you shouldn't litter and this is what it's doing to the planet and i hope that we learn things like that because i feel that while i still do see litter on the side me and my kids pick pick it up if you see it it's not a thing you just help help and everybody seems to do that and it's relatively much cleaner than it was in the 80s and 90s yeah but this someone needs to do something still some places yeah weird and that's that's a major city. It's 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 re- in one of those heavily trafficked areas of New York City, and mm-hmm. it's you know, downtown um, Times Square is not like that. If no, it was like that, right. it'd be you know a travesty. But anyway, yeah, that's that was a one takeaway that was kind of a little sad. And that happened 
we were down there and I was getting text blasted by people in Bloomington because <laughs> there was storms that went through here at that day. Oh, right. Did, were you, were, did you guys up there get any? No, we, like, we got, stuff? we got some rain, but there was nothing serious. I don't think it was even raining when the storms came through down there. There was tornadoes. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Like we, real tornadoes. We get tornadoes once in a while, but mm-hmm. um, I'm about, you know, 130 some odd miles north. So we don't get as much of that as as south and, and more west. I I I was it was weird. It was it was a little weird. Sid and I were sitting there having Nathan we were literally having Nathan's hot famous hot dogs and curly fries and then people were like, I'm going for shelter and I, our friends in the group were still at the same thing and uh my friend Shelly was like, We're going into the tub because it's that bad. I was like, wow, this is it's really weird to have this like, hey, it's a beautiful, fun, sunny, cool day here with all this happiness and people could be like getting their houses ripped up where I live. And that was a weird feeling. Yeah. Um, hell, I, I didn't even know until, was it to la- late last night that my house was even like here? Mm. <laughs> well, they, they, everybody said, hey, you wanted to go check? Because it's around Ellettsville is where lots of houses yeah. were destroyed. Yeah. And there was um, stuff about having states of emergency around here. I was like, wow, that sucks. But Yeah. It's kind of weird, I guess, for here. You, and it's still you, raining. I mean, it's storming for days and days. You probably could have uh, checked your uh, Echo devices from your phone. Oh, app. yeah. Right, see? That's good. Of thinking, course, right all there. that would really tell you is whether or not your internet's working. So if your internet's yeah. down but your house is otherwise fine, that might give you a little bit of uh, false alarm. <laughs> right. I did. I was getting the messages also from uh, Duke Energy saying that the power was out mm. in the neighborhood. So that was something. Yeah, yeah. Your, your Echo devices won't work if there's no electricity. Yeah. So I, you know, it was it was kind of a like that was a good idea though. I, I could have. It would have been nice to get to find out if like Alexa was working. At least I'd known the house was back up. It right, would have been right help. But anyway, that yeah, New York trip was was super fun and, and exhausting and tiring. But uh, I'm almost recovered. Went to game night last night, played uh, the Lord of the Rings Journeys to Middle Earth game. Cool, so. cool. Well, uh, I do want to come back to that. For me, uh, sure. we did Father's Day. That was this Oh, yeah, weekend. right. I, yeah, it was last Sunday. I, I was, that was in Times Square with, with you know, Sid that day. Time is all a blur to me. But um, I saw you had posted a ton of stuff. Did you guys have like a big get-together? Not really. Um, my sister came down from Michigan. She's about an hour north of us. And on Friday, mm-hmm. no, Friday we went out. Saturday, I made um, steak. Uh, my parents used to raise beef, and so they have grass-fed steak. It's very lean, and um, it's not my favorite thing. It's kind of arduous to chew, but I mm-hmm. cooked it because it was raining uh, Saturday and Sunday. Um, I cooked it sous vide and then um, seared it on a skillet um, and made garlic, sweet potatoes. Uh, So that was good. And then my brother, Andrew, had this elaborate plan to make burgers. Um, He dug out this griddle that my dad, I don't remember if it was a gift or just something they found at a flea market. My parents have a six burner cooktop stove. Yeah. And they found this griddle that covers the whole thing. It's like two feet by three feet or something. It's gigantic. 
Um, it's the kind of thing you use to make that pancake in uh, uh, Uncle Buck. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. And then he went to uh, the grocery and talked to the people in the meat department, and they gave him their, like, all of their steak cutoffs and stuff that they grind into into ground beef at the end of the day and so it's like it's like a richer ground beef than your typical ground beef oh okay and then he made patties out of that he mixed like little chunks of butter into it he's been watching that netflix show with um john favreau oh yeah the cooking with yeah i haven't seen it yet but he he loves that so he did this whole burger thing and so while he was doing that i made corn on the cob sous vide which was something i'd been trying to i'd wanted to experiment with and i normally I saw pictures of that that looked great yeah i like to grill corn but again it was raining and so when i started you know shucking the corn and preparing it uh two of my siblings individually came by and they're like oh you're not gonna grill the corn because that's the best <laughs> way and i was like yeah yeah i know i know you know because all growing up we had it boiled and it's you know there's not a lot of flavor to corn to begin with and you boil it and it's just like you know, it's a it's a conveyance for butter and salt, uh, but <laughs> which is the best part, right? So I I just you know covered them in I melted butter with minced garlic, and I put taco seasoning on one batch, like half of it, which ended up not being enough. I was hoping for like a Mexican street corn thing, which didn't really didn't really pan out. It still was just like normal corn, but uh, right. Uh, so yeah, we did that, and I'm trying to think if I did anything else of note. Not really. Uh, I mean, the that's that's a, a nice kind of a Father's Day get together type thing. That yeah, sounds like yeah. Really we great. we decided instead of um, any particular gift that we would uh, do a sort of project work day, um, and so mm-hmm. I. Uh, Dad redid the floor in the back room of their house here because it's where the dogs that stay in the house usually stay in that part of the house. And he had soft uh, pine floor that was all scratched oh, yeah. up. Okay. He had redone it like five years ago. Um, and it's not really strong enough to have dogs, you know, feet, claws on it all the time. <laughs> yeah. And so he had redone that with tile and hadn't... Uh, put the trim back up because my sister was painting the walls and so i hung that trim and then um we just helped move and clean out one of the buildings it's a small farm here so he's got like big so, so dad gets like stuff like he dad gets a little slave labor day basically, he gets like, basically. like I, which is kind of great actually think about it like to be able to like as a just a guy who's lots of things to do like having somebody say here's my army for the day would be great oh yeah yeah i mean would, <laughs> that would be great would you rather have that or like a mug and two t-shirts exactly no i would definitely like hey everybody let's go work on the back porch this is great yeah, you know yeah yeah and you get so much done and yeah that's great hey not to change to go back a little bit but there's something i wanted to talk about a little bit that i found was in, a new thing that i i tried out when i was in new york that i found super interesting it's a service that for luggage. Um, so check this out. Like okay. you go to, it's an app and you can say, I need to check my luggage. This episode right? of the so, front porch is sponsored in part. <laughs> yeah, this does feel like that, doesn't it? No, but it's not. Um, but it's by Luggage Hero. <laughs> uh, so the, it's, you get this app and you say, I need someone to basically, basically babysit my luggage. 
and because we were you know checking in early and then or checking in late but we had our luggage when we got there oh early. is this is this like uber for luggage kind of except you you have to, you have to take it there like you have to take it to the i the see place. i see so it's like daycare for luggage it is and they have them all over the place in like big cities so you you know you click and say i'm here and i want to put my luggage and they show you all these little dots of shops in the area that will watch your luggage for you. And then you say, I want this one and you reserve it and you just go when you, in New York, that mostly they're just like tourist shops. All, every place has tourist shops, right? With the same crap in them. And you go up there and they give you a little tag and they say, Oh yeah, this is us. And they just put the, this like Ziploc taggy thing with a number on it on your, to lock your luggage. And then they put it in the back. And it's only like a dollar an hour. It was pretty great. Yeah, it's and like the um, back. it's like the bag check at the Gen Con uh, store. It would be kind of yeah. nice if, and I'm sure they just don't have the space. It would be nice if Gen Con had something like that. Just for what you're talking about, it's like a locker at yeah. a at a bus station. Exactly, that, that's exactly right. It's like a locker at a, bu- a bus station, and and you have, and this is insured supposedly. You know, the website insures it and stuff. You let the timer. And pay to the I timer. very often when we're at Gen Con and I buy stuff, I'm like, oh, now mm-hmm. I got to carry this around all day. It would be great if yeah. I could buy it and pay, you know, somebody a little bit of time to just like hang on to it, and then yeah. I'll come back when we're going back to the to the uh, Airbnb to absolutely get it back out. Yeah, we we. Uh, for years at Gen Con, when it first came, and then for, I don't know, 10 years, uh, they used to have lockers in where, in that building, in the convention center, like real big ones. And I would have, we had friends that lived there, and they would go get like four or five lockers the Monday before. Right. And and then just keep the keys until Gen, through Gen Con. Mm. And we would, you know, here, here's your locker, here's your locker. And then, but because... The problem is that they were always, everyone did that and they were always taking it. No one at Gen Con that didn't live in Indy could get to those, but they were great for exactly what you were saying is that you just go buy stuff when you wanted it, didn't have to carry it around because hell, my backpack gets heavy after Gen Con for a while. Yeah. yeah. They should just, somebody, I wonder what the cost, uh, what the return on investment would be in that. If you could like rent out one of those rooms and just fill it with shelves and the tricky part would be, uh, You'd need some kind of liability insurance, but um. yeah, I mean the the it's just space, right? And that yeah. that was something cool about this this um, at service in the big cities is because they have the space. They're they're just shops, and I and I, I noticed in the back they have this, these luggages kind of all in a big and a small area pushed up against the wall in the back. And yeah, really, you get, <clears throat> what a neat thing that you get RFID tags or tile or something, and you it's yeah. easy to manage that inventory. Yeah, it wasn't hard at all because all it is is that the the tags that they put on them have a number, and you test you take your phone and you take a picture of that. That's mm. your receipt. And then when you come back, you say, "Here's my picture," and they gotcha. say, "It's you see that it's six nine four dash three two eight, and then they go back and find that one with mm. the tag on it. It's that easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and but anyway, I was telling hope our hope Sid and I were talking, and we're just you know these shops are making. I know it's only a dollar. But an hour, but they that's nothing, they were making nothing before. Now they just take your bag in the back and just sits there and they're making just money. Yeah. Uh, they have like, they had like 30 to 40 of those. So they're making $40 an hour for doing nothing mm-hmm. that they didn't have before. So that's, that's a neat little service that I, I never thought of. And I, I love these when people have these neat ideas and, you know, the modern times we live in type stuff that 
problem solvers and uh, and this was done through an app which you know a lot of cool things should be done these days with apps so anyway that was i thought that, i thought that was a neat service that i had found and we used it twice and successfully and cool, cool. i was nervous about it at first that i'd lose my stuff but eh, that's fine nice let's um let's talk about some games so games i i didn't put this I on the games. i didn't put this on the list so i'm going to spring it on you a little bit but um okay. as after our conversation last was it last week it feels like longer ago than that um i fired up uh divinity original sin 2 again oh yeah i think i remember you saying that in one of the chats this I, is a game man, we talked about yeah. i don't know a year ago somewhere sure. in that in that range because i have never played any of these isometric uh turn-based rpgs um huh. the most famous probably being Baldur's gate um mm. probably because i never played D as a kid uh, sure. When that game was out, and which they're making a Baldur's Gate, yeah, 3, they're making a so. they're making a three. And so I bought this uh, with the intention of maybe eventually playing it with the group that plays mm -hmm. uh, you and the three Horalovich brothers. Mm -hmm. um, I played it solo for a while and then kind of lost interest in it, and then played mm -hmm. with you guys and seriously lost interest in it because it was just not sure. a. Not a fun experience. There's too much story to have that level of chaos. Um, and yeah, so I've been playing that. I decided to start over. Um, okay. I'm playing Sabeel, the the elf. Okay. Um, and the 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 people eating elves. Yeah, that's a characteristic of elves in that world is that they eat uh, corpses. That's kind of cool that. Like when you have a fantasy game and they take a, a normal trope or thing and then they kind of make a twist. I mean, eating people's weird, but I like that they made them different than just, you know, druid people. Yeah, it's like you get some of their knowledge. It's a little bit like iZombie. Right, right, right. Um, but anyway, my my party is uh, Sabeel with uh, a bow ranged, mm -hmm. um, Losa, Thane, and... Um, Red Prince. Losa and Fane are both ranged, wanding, and Red Prince is tank, and as much as you can tank in that game. Right. It's, it's, uh, now just talking to you about it, because you're right, I have weird, I have different weird impressions that of, in my memory of that game, but now that you're mentioning it, like, there's so much that I actually did like while playing to that. I mean, I liked it's, it, it definitely scratched in, like a strategic itch, I think, in my brain. I don't know what it is about this game. I, my first solo play, um, I played Losa, and I got as far as just after the big fight on the boat, which is basically the end of Chapter 1, Act 1, or whatever. Um, and actually, that's when the game starts. Like, yeah, that's and the, yeah. in this playthrough, I felt like it took me much longer to get to that point, and I had to load my saves much more often. I, I feel like when I played as Losa, the first time I lost a combat was in that big boat fight. And okay. with this team, I was losing, I don't know, I don't even know. Like, at least three times I went into a situation um, that was not, you know, that I was underleveled for or whatever. And I don't know if it was, because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you would think, having played the game, I would be better at it. I think right, sure. I knew some things, and I'm like, oh, I just need to go here and take out this guy, and then Fane can get that face ripper knight. Except mm. my group is level five, and that guy's also level five, but he has seven people, you know, yeah. on his yeah. side. And 
they're all like teleport and bleed and that's more difficult yeah yeah um and so i go back and forth with that like i don't love the combat but i don't dislike it like it's satisfying and it's you know it's complicated it's not easy it's yeah. it's intricate there are all these elements and effects and things to try and keep track of um but i do also enjoy the running around and reading the story and trying to trying to follow in this D kind of way um mm -hmm. i do do more like quick save quick load than i do in most games because it really feels like there are consequences to all of these dialogue situations like you say the wrong thing yeah, to a person yeah. and now they're not going to be available as a merchant um yeah i had i had that i different. can't remember the exact situation but i was in town in the next chapter that you hadn't played before after the boat and and i it did a I messed up a thing where I was talking and saved and I had already said something and I couldn't go back to my save or something. And mm. I was like, Oh, or it was way the last time I saved was like three hours ago or something. So it literally made a choice that I wasn't sure that I was going to be happy with. And, but i still felt like it was a consequence. This way, like you're saying, like I, I made the choice and this dude was pissed at me and he took off on a boat. And I was like, oh, he kind of was going to stay here and maybe be a merchant or something. Right. Uh, and I, at first I was a little frustrated by that. But then just as you're saying, I kind of feel like that's a different thing about a game. It's kind of like living with your story. You know? Yeah. In my first playthrough, I accidentally killed the elf in the cave, the blind one who can see mm -hmm. the future or whatever. Um Maybe because I was playing Losa, she could see and decided that I was evil and so attacked me and, of course, yeah. had to kill her. And then there was this whole storyline that was her. closed. So with this playthrough, I didn't do any of that stuff. I was also playing a different character. Mm -hmm. um, but I ended up escaping the fort by just fighting my way out. Like I came upon a, a combat yeah. scenario from inside the building instead of around the corner and suddenly I was right. close to the allied paladin um and could actually win that fight right that, yeah that's that's different than what i did too i noticed that you could fight your way out later like when i was playing with the Horaloviches, that you can actually go that way which is neat like there's different ways to get to where you need to go right yeah. um so what about uh did you say you played um lord of the rings last night is that um i did journey's I did. middle earth i did and it's it's satisfying we uh we did some actual front porch talk about this after after the the game last night for many hours the game is so it's so i mean it's cool it, it's uh the app it's still all about the app it's the unknown that, that that game is so good because of the unknown you have no idea what's under a tile or what this tile is and how it's going to change the game and what monsters are going to be here you just don't know and when you're playing a game like Gloomhaven, you can kind of see things, you know, things that are going to happen ish. Mm -hmm. You're putting a treasure tile down. There's a treasure there. You know, it's got a number in the book or you pull out six caves and, a, and you kind of know the map ish, right? You can, almost any game you kind when you set things up, yeah, you get an idea for sure. This is, this is a whole bunch of, we don't knows. And, for some people, that could be super frustrating. Our friend Justin is one of those guys that like he likes to be able to know that if I go here and I go into that cave because that's the quest, that 
that's what I have to do. But all of a sudden you go into the cave and then, you know, orcs have attacked from the north and they're coming over the hills. And all of a sudden the whole exploration area opens up and you put six more tiles out, threat changes and increases. And there's like other goals you have to do. And it changes the game from minute to minute. Yeah. And that frustrates him. And for like us last night, it just makes it really super interesting. You know, no idea. Like, and we're all, we're a little. There's times when you're a little scared. It's like, should we go explore? Should should we do this? And how do we do that? And then you just got to do it. And then the app tells you, like, you know, it does a whole storyline type thing. And you're like, oh crap, this is a thing. And <laughs> now we have to do this. You know, it, it's actually it's, similar to what I was talking about with save loading in in Divinity Two. Like, I don't know. I've never. I don't know this world or this franchise. And I feel like there might be some of that that. I would have a better idea in these uh, dialogue situations if I knew yeah. the world. But I'm like, all right, quick save, and then go. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I I rarely do that in dialogue. Like I'll save, but I rarely go back and and load. The quick save, quick load is more for uh, combat stuff. Where I'm like, oh sure. And you know that's that's like, that's really really key in this game is that you can't quick save or load or you can't undo yeah. anything. Like right. with Gloomhaven, you could even if you wanted to mile, not that we ever cheat, but if you wanted to like, oh, no, 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 we'll just, you know, replay this and just do it wipe and start because that's how it works. If wipe you fail a scenario, you just try it again. Yeah, not in not in Lord of the Rings. The app tracks everything and tells you everything and you can't restart and redo things. Um, and then when the most probably coolest, unique thing about this is that you win or lose a scenario, it continues on. It's just that the next scenario is different. Uh, so we were, we have won, quote unquote, won every one so far, but last night there was a real possibility that we wouldn't have won this one. Mm. And the, the long short of the story is that we were in this, this one episode, we were, uh, trying to help a ranger lady and she was injured and we went to go find like herbs for her and there were orcs shenanigans and all sorts of stuff. Um, but that's what we were going to go save her and help her out. Um, and if we failed that, I don't know what would have happened, right? Like, would she have come along with this? Would she not come along with this? But that are was you, a possibility. Are you near a place called Roscoe Bell? No, um, I don't no. think so. It sounds, it yeah. sounds similar to one of the, uh, card game scenarios, but I might have the wrong one. Right. Well, the, so it it's just it's just there's no way to un you can't undo things and you can't go back and like okay we'll just reload the app and say load save block 2 no cuz you don't you just continue game at the beginning of the app and it says okay here's where you are here's your stuff you can't go back and say uh or cheat in any way or house rule things really you you have right. to do it you punch it in it tracks it it tells you um Another thing we kind of discovered that's neat for replayability, I guess, mm -hmm. is there's there's Trotsky had been talking about this with some of those other friends, and they had come to the conclusion that there's so many things on the map that are like tempting, like hey, like last night we were in the cave and we were there to get this herb in one of the many caves, but there's shiny things everywhere. It's like oh, there's a um, dwarven armor sitting on a skeleton over there. I'm like, should we go search that? And the game is full of that. Like these, mm. they just give you the, the hints of there's something over here. There's something over there and you can go explore it. But if you do, there could be huge consequences or you get a great thing like a title and a boon or a, you know, really neat stuff. 
um, but it could cause your game to to lose. Mm. Um, so that, but the, here's the thing with that example of the, the dwarven armor in the corner thing, we decided not to go get it okay. because we just were like, focus on the goal, stay focused. <laughs> but, but we have no idea. Unlike Gloomhaven where you can go and say, uh, that was magical armor plus five. Darn, we missed it. Right? right. We have no idea what that is. The app is the only thing that knows. And there's no book to show you what that was. And we can go back and play this game again and maybe go get that next time to see what it was. You know, it's just, but we have no idea. It's just, it's really neat. Lots of exploration in places we didn't go. You know, what was over there? What was this thing? What was underneath that rock? So I really, I really enjoy that aspect of that game. because, And it's because of the app. The app just, it's all offloaded to the app and yeah. you just don't have it. That's really interesting. It's, well, like I said, whenever we talked about this the first time was it's like having a dm it is yeah because you don't know right like the dm knows a, a dm that's a that's a computer so you can't like socially manipulate it into uh giving you spoilers yeah exactly or even or even afterwards you can't talk to the to, uh, you, you can talk to the dm and say if we would have gone down that alley would that guy have been robbed <laughs> us and he could have told you right like this guy surprisingly you guys have only done that to me once or twice with uh with Klingons and Dragons, but... Uh, oh, yeah? The, what what would have happened? Right. Right. Well, the... the anyway, the, yeah, it's very, it's very fun because of the unknown, and we're, we're really enjoying ourselves. These are a lot of guys who like to think about every little detail of games ad nauseum, and this does not allow us to do that. We just play to the best that we can play and have fun however we can do. Uh, and we're really, really, really leaning into this whole, like, it's your character, you do what you want to do thing, mm. which is hard for some of us. Sure. Some of us in the group are very much like... You how know, do we win? How do we win? Yeah. Right. Instead of how do... What do I want to do? And it's good. It's been... It's a kind of a healthy thing for our, our group and of people, and we really, really are enjoying it. That's the thing when the day is over, like, really love this game, man. I really love this game, which is a neat thing. If you think about it, that's the point is no matter what you do is when you're done at the end of the day, you feel like energized and excited and want to play more because it was just fun. No matter what you think of the nuts and bolts of the system or whatever it is, if you had fun playing Monopoly, then I guess that's a good game. Even though I think Monopoly is terrible. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. But you know what I mean, though, right? Like if people yeah. really enjoy it, then it's a good game. Yeah, there's some people who only play games like that. Yeah, and good on them. You know, cool, cards cool. against well, humanity. I, that kind so of I'll, I'll someday buy that, maybe see if I can catch a deal at, uh, at Gen Con or something, because I won't have any opportunity to play it anytime soon. Yeah, that's isn't that a single player too? Can't you play that by yourself? Yeah, but if I was going to do that, I would just set up the card game again, which... I bought a table. Oh, here, see, I, I think I just think that's it's different than what you think it is. It's not like the card just because the arts. The oh, no, I don't. I don't mean it's the same. I mean, if I'm going to play a single player game, like I still have this game that oh, I, I spent a couple hundred dollars on, maybe not a couple hundred dollars, but over a hundred dollars on it and a bunch of chapters for it. That sure I should play first. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, should I buy a new, you know, X new video game or, or right. Right, yeah, you're totally right, yeah, because you, you do, and you have a lot of really good ones for that that card game. Yeah, I get yeah. that. You're right, you're right. And that, that, you know, that card game does have a neat story-ish thing type thing to it, if you're reading the the flavor text and following along. It's kind of neat. 
for Lord of the Rings stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what what, have, what else have you done in the last week? Did you get to uh, watch any Netflix shows, do any kind of movie um, showing? Well, I have a lot of new-ish shows that I'm trying to uh, keep up with. But, of course, after recommending it to you and talking about it, I I keep going back and watching an episode of Deadwood every night. Oh, yeah. I, I love those. I don't know what we do. Just randomly text each other lines from that movie, that show. I mean, and, which is great. That's, we talked about this last week, but it's just the writing is so good. It's, you know, it's so foul that you can't, you know, quote it in any kind of context. We're not going to quote any of it on the show. But, right. um, yeah, so much of it is so good. And, of course, this is, for me, at least my third time watching it. And so I kind of know what's going to happen. And so I can see where things are foreshadowed. I, I can see the sequence of events that leads up to um, a character doing a thing or becoming a certain a certain role. It was funny to me last week, or maybe this wasn't on the show, but um, you you said you were reading up on some of the history and you're like, yeah, E.B. Farnham in, in real life was the guy who was mayor. Yeah. And I'm like, right. oh, that's that's funny. He's not to that part yet. <laughs> right. When he when he becomes when mayor. When he becomes yeah. mayor. Yeah, I, I just so we're open in the same spot. I'm just finished season one and um the first two episodes of season two, he uh Bullock's um family has come to town and he has decided to stay. Um so the 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 something I like about these this show and it is with the writing and the acting mostly the writing probably is that the, i hate using the the cliche complex characters but every character isn't really a stereotype they're very kind of real um and i say elsewhere engine is a good example of this it's that you want to think that this guy who who is this guy in movies or in books or in stories mm. where does he fit is he a mob boss is he a right uh a, a hero is he a bad guy is, does he have like a soft heart you know you always have that who is this kind of guy and mm -hmm. the the show doesn't subvert that but he's just a real kind of person you yeah. I, there was a good scene when you know bullock and him fight just because he's pissed off one day he just they he just swears some things down to bullock and then they start this fight you do two characters who you know, are always clashing heads. And then mm -hmm. you want to think that, Oh, this is going to come to blood. One of them has to die. This is how this is. And then, you know, Al turns into this real kind of person. Like, I don't want to die either. You know, they're right, like, right. And it's not like they're characters in a book. They're like real people living in a Western world. There's, there's so much complexity. Like you could, you could potentially call Al a, an anti-hero, but only because like he has a line, right? He has a limit. And it's much further than your average, like, civilized person's limit. You know, he kills people. He has people killed. His whole business is about, you know, cheating people out of their money in a quote-unquote legitimate way with his saloon. Um, but he runs the town because that's an easier way for him to, to make money than, you know, actually robbing people. Right. And so... You know, he, Which he, ta does he too, takes by the way. care of things. He has friends that he's loyal to. He, you know, takes actions that are for the good that end up being for the good, but that's not his motivation. Right. Um, well, and that, then you've got, the thing, is it? and then you've got this character of Seth Bullock, who seems like he, sh he's the one who should be this like stereotype hero, but they set him up in the pilot where he's like, 
he's lawful good you know this is the law we're gonna follow the law and so instead of letting this guy be killed by the mob he's gonna physically hang him you know because he can't right that's the the short drop kind of thing um you know and so that's who he is but then later he has this you know he gets in these situations where like he almost beats a guy to death right Right. in in anger like he's got a he's got a hot temper so he has a sense of he has a sense of justice but it's still you know affected by his very strong emotions well Uh, that's what makes him pretty great i mean in all these characters on the show is that they that's the real what i say when i use that term real thing of this this show is that um stories have and characters have lines or you you mentioned with swearingen was that he had uh, his lines right or he's, he's further out but I don't, I don't know i think in real life people like to say i have a line or i have a thing that i I won't do, or I won't cuss, or I won't swear, mm-hmm. or I won't do whatever I do. But then, in real life, you those lines are always blurred. There's always grays everywhere. You know, where in the real world of you know, very few people in the world live a black and white life. Right. You know, there, there's you know, and it doesn't make you a bad person to you know. Oh, I I I cursed one day. Um, when when I my line is to not do that, and I think that's bad. You know, to have to have different stuff and it's normal human things to have, you know, thoughts or um, uh, is it uh, trials and tribulations that you go through and change and grow. But then you come back and reaffirm your your convictions. It's just a part of life. And this show does a lot of that. It's that they can shift from day to day. Al can be a cutthroat murder boss. But then, you know, because of what's going on with him and his girlfriend, he just his mind kind of changes and he's in a different kind of mood and then he just acts that way and it feels very natural you know when bullet gets angry he yeah he's a straight up lawman and then he turns around and uh comes into the bar and says that hey if you want to kill this guy he's going to be here and you can, you should kill him before he gets out of town that calls, i that's calls the episode i just watched and the episode before when they make stapleton sheriff you see Al's thing, like Al doesn't like Bullock, and and Bullock Seth doesn't like Al either. Like they're completely different, and you know are are butting heads. But they have that conversation when Trixie goes to the shop, and Bullock wanders into the gem, and t- and you know talks to Al. They have this they have this conversation where Al's like, you know, you're you know I. I see you and I and I know who you are and I don't like you. You would be a you know a real difficulty for me in my business in my operation. But I would rather have you as sheriff because you're not a man who could be bought. Like yeah. Stapleton who you know they, they in the next episode they make a couple lines like that. Like he can be bought for a what a biscuit or something like that, right? A, a day old can be bought for a day old biscuit. Some yeah. of that, some of that, just really. Yeah, it's, um, it's it sounds ridic- hyper hyperbolic to say the amazing writing, but it's you know that's just yeah, a it's, tiny example of the writing. You know, I'm explaining that scene in very plain, clear language, but of course, the scene itself plays out in really subtle. You know, he brings he brings Staple he rips Stapleton's badge off. And gives it to Dan at the bar, and Dan's like, "You ought to pin that on your chest." 
He's hypocrite <laughs> enough to wear it. Oh yeah, talks about the hypocrites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the that that's what makes these. And it is the writing it's, that makes these characters interesting is because they they have shifting. Uh, sometimes I want to say ethics, but shifting, you know, motivations and allegiances. Motivations. Yeah, and 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 just because again, it's because life puts them in the, the situations that they have to just deal with real kind of things. And when you're talking about Seth Bullock, you're talking about his his love of his life with this woman. And then he's, he, the fact that he's married and it puts you in, how does someone like this deal with something like this? And it shifts. He can't be just always unbreakable and right. Uh, which is just cool. And, and I, and I really, really have become to enjoy that. I enjoy the characters in one moment. Uh, we talked about last week, uh, E.B. Farnham having the, the scene with these scrubbing blood off the floor. That, mm-hmm. That's a perfect example of the fact that these characters are, you you want to put a caricature of slimy guy rat with Farnham, but then they have a scene where he's talking and he seems much more human and his motivations are different and what he wants. Uh, yeah. Everyone's like that. You see yeah. that, like I probably said this last week, but like part of his persona is an act, right? He's, yeah. he's sharper than he pretends. He pretends to be this kind of bumbling guy to, you know, for to ingratiate himself with Al or whatever. Right. I, I did, speaking of him, I did have a neat scene the other day that I watched with, uh, it was just a short little thing that the new prostitutes have come into town and they look over at night and EB's hiding behind like a, some barrels or something trying to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And they're like, and they, she says, I, I don't know if you know this, but you've got like a little rat outside your window. And she's like, <laughs> no, don't worry. That's just the mayor. <laughs> so uh, good. I mean, <laughs> Yeah. It is. It is. So uh, and and every character has every character has that. Every character that's written in this show has some complexities about them that change and shift. And and we go from uh, the prostitute Trixie uh, to obviously the two leads. Um, but you have um, oh, I'm trying to think of uh, the, the holes. The, uh, the Union Bell operator guy. Bell like Union, he, yeah, Tolliver. Yeah. Like he starts out as this kind of like oh he's like Al but fancier. Right. Everything's right. everything's not, more expensive. You know. And then like they bring in the Kristen Bell character and you're like, oh, no, this guy is. This guy is different from Al. Yeah, they're different. And they are complex. And then he, he feels like he's fighting his internal self all the time. So it, my point is that everyone on the show has a different complexity to them. That is not something that's an archetype for shows. Right. You know, it's not your Western. It's not. We watched. What's that long movie we watched that was a cowboy thing on Netflix? Uh, Godless. Godless, which I loved, but it definitely had archetypes. It had the Gene Hackman. It was the bad guy and the good guy. And the and I do love yeah, those. It was a it was a more it was like a modern version of, you know, maybe something not as good as Good, Bad and the Ugly. It's just sure, like, here's right. a story and here are these guys. It's a little more. uh politically correct it's a little more you know modern it's modern so it's, it's modern, know, there's right. different cinematography there's maybe some better acting some better dialogue writing and all of that right. stuff and, and a lot of cowboy shows are like that they that's just how they were and and i enjoy those i enjoy tombstone a lot you know mm-hmm. you have the, the the sheriff and the things like like that the westerns are very good for that to have you know good guys and bad guys and that's the way it was but this uh deadwood is is just not that it's this whole d 
different kind of thing in a world that is very godless. It's very, you know, open and there's weird. yeah, and, there's so much politics and um, you know, subtlety that, that, and, and as Dennis says that it's not like a Game of Thrones politics. It's not that like, oh my God, gotta watch a show about politics. It's not that way. It's right. Well it's a it's an analysis of um as I think I saw that interview with the director, he said that historical Deadwood was like an accelerated version of the whole country of, of yeah. the U S and his founding, um, yeah. which is, is interesting. It's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, interesting story there. Yeah. They, they only have to deal with like a smaller amount of people in their own government type thing. So they get things done quickly and, or not quickly. And they just, yeah, it's, it's there's so much. And, and I'm enjoying all those characters and when new ones come on, it's I'm it's I'm always thrown for a loop what they do with stuff like the the preacher died. And that was a whole thing that felt like it didn't have a grand meaning, except that, you know, here's the old West with a guy that has a tumor in his head. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this is just how it was. And that's interesting. And also you, you really saw some complexities in Al when, in Al, how he's dealing dealing in, with it. And, in Al, in Jane, and in the Doc, right, right, right. Th- mostly those three. But he has some interactions with uh, with Bullock early on. I love the first, um, the first funeral that they do, and he's he's waxing eloquent. He's quoting all the scriptures, and uh, at, you know, after he's done, Saul says, you know, it's a real generous perspective, there, Reverend. And he says something right. like, uh, you know, can we not all use all the generosity we can get? And you're like, right. oh, that's so good. <laughs> right. Yeah, the and, and and I love the the little things that they put into the show that then they they always turn it on a knob how you think these characters are gonna interact with it. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of there's a lot of subversive uh, yeah, like you have this guy with a tumor, and you're dealing with it. And you're like, okay, this is this is something that the doctor's dealing with, and Jane's dealing with. Um, and then you you put Al in the mix, and Al you think is going to react one way, but then has a different kind of reaction than what you would expect, which makes the show good. And you're like, oh, that's a whole different complexity to this character that you don't you didn't expect. You yeah. Know? And how, how do they react to a child being, you know? her family being murdered and you know this woman is not a mother figure but she takes her in type thing and right yeah and all all of the characters i think that uh the the one that's happening now it's an interesting little how are they going to deal with things is dan where i'm at in the show is like dan has Mm. this new competition for al's attention with uh adams yeah and and it's it's such again you think dan is just this cutthroat you know toady killer guy of al's but he's getting a different kind of complexity to him now mm-hmm. because they're just throw a weird wrench in his life. And it's, it's very interesting to the, to watch. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm digging it. Uh, you said there's like only like three seasons, right? There are three seasons. Yeah. Oh, that's it, it, again, it feels so short. I'm glad, I'm glad that we had um, one season of Firefly and y- y- I, I would hope that something like if we had three seasons of Firefly, it would be something like, like this that can, would continue on into a nice yeah. full type thing. So it's nice to have, even though it's only three seasons, I'm glad that we only, we had more than one. Like right. Firefly only got one, right? Right. right. This, this has that feel kind of to it. I know it's Western and whatever, but. Ugh. All right. Before we, before we use up all our time here, let's talk about our movie. 
The, this one is like, like the Deadwood we were just talking about. It has good writing with, and but this one's done a lot, I think, with acting. Right? This is got this is the Green Mile, mm-hmm. uh, and with Tom Hanks and Michael Duncan Clark. Right? Is it Michael Clark Duncan? Michael Clark Dun- Duncan. Clark Duncan. Uh, this uh, is a this is yet another Stephen King adaptation in our. Well, I, I'm I'm picking up a trend that. that whoever set up this poster um, is a big fan of. Uh, Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks, and Stephen King. Yeah, Stephen King. Well, the Stephen King does what one of the th- I'm there. I'm sure there are literally like doctoral theses on Stephen King. Yeah, of course. But 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 something he he does that's really gripping to anyone who reads his books or watches his movies is that he the movies are about a lot of other things in life that are happening, and then he just throws a supernatural thing in there. It's not always the point of the movie. It kind of becomes the points of the movie. That's really true. I I don't know that I that I really noticed that. I just finished listening to the audiobook version of The Stand, which mm-hmm. is a, a sort of not zombie, but it's a it's an apocalypse story. Yeah. Originally written in the seventies and then updated in in like ninety ninety one. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was like college age, I read a handful of them. I read The Shining. I read Pet Cemetery and I remember that being a common trend. It's like the often, very often male protagonist, you spend a lot of time in his head and, you know, he's dealing like in Pet Cemetery. there's this whole thing where his wife's sister had MS or, or cerebral palsy or something. And like that in his past affects his relationship with his wife, with his father-in-law. And he keeps like replaying these events in his mind. That's a common thing in some of some of his books, where right. uh, a character has some mistake in their past or something somebody says to them, and they replay it in their mind over and over. And that's a thing that I think people do, but it's not something you really think of necessarily as something that m- would make a compelling story. Um, yeah, he he does. I think I wonder if, if King's. Uh, writing approach is to like i want to tell a story about like this one is like a pr- prison guards and death row and inmates and that relationship thing and, and by the way it, it's not from a standpoint of like let me think of a new neat supernatural thing like a, a pets that come back to life doesn't right. feel like that is the the starting point or the plot of the whole thing it ends up becoming these shows the supernatural parts the focus but that's doesn't seem like the first half of his books or the first half of his stories that according just to real stories according to the anecdotes on um on imdb this movie and uh the one we watched more recently stand by me are two of the adaptations of his work that he re- i think the stand by me one like brought him to tears uh but this one is another one it's like one of his ad- adaptations that he actually likes because I think what happens is you're a filmmaker and you, you know, you're a director or a, a screenwriter and you read the story and you're like, oh, I want to make a movie about this pet cemetery that brings stuff back to life. Like, that's cr- creepy and cool and whatever. But right. of course, the book was much more complex and deep than that. And it's hard to get that complexity and that depth in a film format in two hours. I mean, right. I think I've said this before on the show. I read The Shining, and when I watched the movie, I was disappointed. I was like, man, the book was so much scarier than this. Because you got yeah. to live in uh, 
that Jack Nicholson's character's head as he like, you know, deals with being a recovered alcoholic and like he made some mistake that I think maybe got one of his kids killed and like he just rolls that over and over in his mind and he's in this hotel and there's you know, the only alcohol there is all locked away and so he struggles with that and he's dealing with his wife and and all this and in the movie you just don't get you don't get as much of that like it's not as long and they change yep. the ending and whatever yeah. well, well some things on the good i want to say with air quotes good stephen king uh adaptations is is that they've given the directors and the right screenwriters have given the time needed to do what he does in the books and you get like this one, the green mile was an actual three hour movie. It, it was given a lot of time to spend at the first half of the movie without any supernatural things happening. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you were given the opportunity to understand the people and, you know, really breathe instead of like rushing through to really highlight, you know, his supernatural powers. I uh, saw this movie in the theater and I've probably seen it at least once since then because I remembered a lot of the details, a lot of the high points. Even before I started watching it, I remembered mm -hmm. the basic plot. But as it went on, you know, it would be a couple scenes before something happens. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is when he, you know, they take him to to heal. Um, Why? I, I didn't put a spoiler tag, but. Yeah. yeah. Spoilering. This is like a twenty-five-year-old movie, yeah. Or something. I I've, I watched this once before, only once before. Yeah. And and as I said last week when we got done with it, it was, it's it was one of those movies that I think that I watch once because they have it's such a strong resonating feeling that you know I don't want to, I want it to stand on its own in my memories. You know, yeah. I don't I don't want to go back and have it to like oh now I nitpick a little thing or I see something I didn't that seems not out of place or. Or no, it just had to be an an experience that I went through. And, so and it I was. saw a um, the the two big things for me as I was watching this is I I kept watching for actors that I've seen in other things. There are like mm -hmm. four or five of the people involved in this project also worked on uh, Shawshank Redemption. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's the same composer, and every once in a while you you hear that there's a little bit of like building strings kind of thing just like the music in Shawshank mm -hmm. um, and a couple of the actors um, there's also one or two of the guys in Saving Private Ryan were in this as well oh, okay. um, and the other part of it was I kept looking for not, not, not all the way through but I hit like hour and a half two hours into this movie and I was like man, this really, I feel like this could have been shorter. But as okay. I went through, as I went through everything that happened, I'm like, what, what would you cut out of this? You know, I hit a point where I'm like, do we need all this stuff with the, with the guy's wife? Like, is that relevant? And then I got to a certain point. I'm like, oh yeah, of course it's relevant. It's very important. Right. Um, like, do you cut out the stuff with the mouse? Do you cut out the first, um, execution that they do do you cut out any of the stuff with percy like it's or the all, old man or that no you need all like, that you need the you need the beginning and the end the only thing that you could maybe do is some of these some of these scenes and sequences are 
almost plodding in their pace. Yeah, they, they do and are you really could, slow. You could tighten some of that up. Like, I don't think there's any part of this story that you could completely cut. Like, you really need all of... I mean, even the even the stuff with his uh, urinary tract infection. Like, it, it all plays into the story. Um, right. But, and a lot of times you're like, where's this going with X, Y, or Z? Like, what, yeah, why? So, the, okay, we get that Percy's a jerk, and we get why do they keep going? Oh, you need you need to have that build and reinforced, and yeah, yeah, just a lot of really good stuff. And then Michael Clark Duncan is incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, it's obviously the role of his career. I think, I and mean, he's done other things that are great, but this is. Well, it's what made him. He's he's done stuff since this, but this was his like breakout role. And he was he was acting alongside Tom Hanks, and Tom Hanks was definitely good and serviceable in this movie. But I don't think Tom Hanks made this movie. I think you could have put other people in there in that role, and it would have been okay. Yeah, he's Um, playing. I read in the in the trivia whatever that he and Bonnie Hunt and at least one of the other characters, um sort of uh like gained weight for this movie yeah at least a little bit to look more accurate to the people of that era to be more like you know tom hanks is this just kind of everyman prison uh worker yeah um and so he's yeah he's just a normal dude in this uh, right you know i mean i think like anything he does he he elevates the the role, but sure, um, yeah, and, I, and, I, and it is is good to have him in there, and he does do well. I w- didn't mean to knock that one, but I, I do think that, for example, he does do. Uh, there's several scenes when they just communicate by looking at each other, mm. and and that's good acting. I mean, yeah, the the guards will. There's so much unsaid things in the in where the where they electrocute people and stuff, and mm-hmm. they're just, you know, it's just that's just the acting. Uh, the um when they kill him at the end and the one guard that's younger is kind of crying and trying to hold it in and hide it um and then they just look at each other and he says something to him quietly like you know wipe your face before you get up or turn around Mm -hmm. like those little things aren't necessarily just in the writing it's just in the acting and the way they look at each other yeah um and and that's that's really well done and it could be directing too i know that um when he won't say roll on to and uh, the guy walks over to him. He's like, you have to say it like that pacing of him looking pensive and everybody looking like something's wrong. That's mm-hmm. just good acting. Yeah. You know, good camera right on the actor's faces when they're giving that. And the way he walks and, and stands kind of close to him without saying any words, there's a lot of feeling between the actors, you know, in yeah. the scene. And like, that's, that's good acting. It's really is. Um, and not just the writing, but uh, the writing though is spot on with the, what's the big thing. He's like, when he talks about, there's so much, he, he killed them with their love and there's just so much mm. in the world. And, and you're, you're like, Oh man, his words, when he says the things that he says, just, you know, has so powerful. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is so the same, powerful. it's the same writer who wrote uh, Shawshank. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at, other stuff that he's written mostly tv uh tv show work um movie called the mist mm. i don't i don't remember if i saw that or not well this this is his role then i mean the, his 
golden goose, whatever. Because when he, the words that were said in this movie from all the people were powerful and impactful. Even Wild yeah. Bill made you hate him with every little thing he said. Did you catch the? Uh, did you catch the Wild Bill stuff the first time they call him that? No, like obviously That's, now that um, I know about Wild Bill Hickok, you know, I, uh, um, what's that? Sam Rockwell. Yeah. I mean, um, now that I know, I've seen yeah, Deadwood. He, you know, his like, his chosen moniker was Billy the Kid, right? Who was a criminal, oh, yeah. and they call him Wild Bill, who was not a criminal. He was a lawman, right. and he says he's like, "Don't you compare me to he was he was Johnny Law, shot in the back, facing away from the door." Right. I'm like, oh yeah, that's exactly how it was on Deadwood. That's how how it went, <laughs> went down on Deadwood. Yeah, yeah the. So it was so good. And the way that it all comes together in an unexpected way that you would not have thought. And now when I, this is being the second time I went through and I, I knew all the high points of, you know, he is going to die. Um, he is, you know, this guy gets um, killed with Percy kills him without the, the wet sponge. And I knew those right. things were going to happen. Right. Uh, so I, I was able to take that off what the unknown of what was going to happen and head of a different experience. Focus of, more on the details. Yeah. And, and, yeah. or just focus, let it kind of go in on the, the idea of that, uh, you know, this all is going to come together in a way that has to happen. You know, mm -hmm. wild bill. I know that what happens with wild, Bill, and I know that he's innocent. I know that, that, uh, John coffee's John innocent. Coffey. I know right. that the whole time. I don't have to worry about that. And I can just really soak in the fact that this guy is a good man and that these guys are, are good people. And Wild Bill is an evil person and all of the stuff I was allowed to really enjoy with the writing and the acting and, yeah. um, and, and really feel, I still really felt it. I still really felt, you know, because of Michael Clark Duncan's acting, the sadness of this man and how I still felt when he died that it was okay. Right. You yeah. felt just like the guards did like, I don't want him to die. I don't want him to die, but he's like, it's okay. And he, he was at peace with it. Yeah, um, that li that line from the the number two dude where he's like, I know they. He's like, boss, it hurts so bad. They all hate me in here. It feels like stinging me. He's like, but we don't feel that way. Can you feel that? Can you right. feel what we feel? Yeah, and I was, was like, really oh good. man, talk about break my heart, you know? Because <laughs> they 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 love this man who is a good man, as they call him many times, the miracle on God's miracle on earth. And Tom Hanks' yeah. line of like, when I reach the Almighty and I look down and say that I killed one of his miracles. What am I supposed to say? And I was like, Man. I I noticed some of that stuff too. When when I first for the first half hour of the movie, I in my mind was distracted a lot thinking about the concept of capital punishment because of course that's mm -hmm. the whole yeah, sure. setting for this movie. Um, I as I often do went on IMDb and found out that the two the two biggest uh, anachronisms in this movie or inaccuracies as some people would say yeah. um, are that. Uh, in Louisiana at this time, uh, death row um, prison guards didn't have any kind of standard uniform yet in 1935. Okay. And also the state of Louisiana didn't move from uh, scaffold like hanging executions until the 40s. Oh, okay. So they wouldn't have been using the electric chair, but it's, you know. It's not really important that it's uh, that it's Louisiana. It's just that it's in the Depression and it's in the South. Yeah. Um, 
Hey, but, so can I ask you a question? What what did they say? I didn't get who is John Coffey. And maybe it's left this way, but maybe you caught something I didn't. Is John Coffey is who is he? Like they they mentioned like that he's not. Everyone would know who he is. He Nobody knows. Kind of I think it's I think it's supposed to be implied that he's some kind of angel or supernatural uh, being of some kind. So so you don't think like he was raised in this thing? He just was. He was just here. But I mean, nobody, because of the depression, they say that when Tom Hanks goes looking for him, like they don't know, um, you know, the records of him only go back to a certain point. Yeah. And, and he doesn't know, like they, John Coffey doesn't, no, he says like he right. doesn't know everything about stuff and um, it's the really other part left of this, out there. The other part of this that was um, a little bit different or noteworthy to me was because I, partly because I just finished listening to The Stand, mm-hmm. um, is that even though Stephen King is doing this weird supernatural thing, there's some really blatant, like Judeo-Christian themes and ideas. Um, He does that in the stand. It's like, Oh yeah, for sure. God has his messenger for the people. And you know, there's this character who's maybe the devil himself, maybe just a, you know, right hand kind of demon you know body hopping thing um and i don't i don't think of that as something that stephen king does a lot of but there clearly was a time where he did he'd tell this supernatural story but it's still woven into this um you know sort of his own mythos version of of you know one god and uh all yeah, of that kind of stuff not, with, he, with religious characters. And um, he's not doing like a, a Lewis C. Clark, not Clark. What's a, a character? C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, where it's very overt. It's very thing. This, yeah, this it's, is, it's not this is C.S. In Lewis analogy. And it's not like, um, well, maybe it is. It's closer to like a Constantine kind of thing. Uh, the movie Constantine. I don't know yeah, anything sure. about comics or, or any sure, of that. Sure. But that like. Urban, fic- urban fantasy kind of uh right kind of but there are, it's, it's not preaching stephen king's not preaching to us no, he's right he's just saying some things i mean and they in this movie they do uh, they they uh, put a point to it when he says do you want a a priest of some sort to to speak with you right and he said and he, and he said he, he says no um and and this felt like when that that happened that scene started to happen i started to feel like oh here's where the, the right kind of in the back of my mind i felt like this is where the writer or this people are going to give us a little lesson or they're going to say they're they're going to tie it into christianity or faith or whatever and he mm. doesn't really he, no. he does say you can say a prayer if you want uh, for you right. or whatever it might be and he does continue the things but he doesn't quote unquote preach to you he's not giving mm. you what you should think about here spiritually but well, he's addressing do, it a little bit and they do a little bit of that in their um in their first rehearsal where they they name whoever the reverend is who's going to come and mm-hmm. and you know pray with them in their last in their last moments and they're like oh yeah he's good he doesn't uh he doesn't get them too worked up or uh, yeah whatever it's like a it's just another part of their process right it's just another part of their ritual yeah um, 
So I, I like this. I like this a lot, just as much as I liked it the first time. It's, it's uh, as we get into our wrap up part here. It's going to be hard to to pick or to say about it, but um, it, it is an emotional thing. It's 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 mm-hmm. hard to say that it's uh, a depressing because it's also kind of uplifting. It does not have a happy quote unquote ending, but it's in it. There's so much thought, even the very ending, which by the way, I didn't remember from the first time I watched it. Yeah. This guy was 108 years old. He doesn't live forever, but he's going to live a long time. And I mean, I had that same thought when it started and he's like, Oh, it's this and this, you know, story from for over 60 years. And I'm like, this guy doesn't look old enough. Like, was he like 20 when it happened? But then in the flashbacks, you see Tom Hanks and Bonnie Hunt, and you're like, they're definitely not 20. Yeah. Um, the first shot when they show in the past is of the younger guard. And I'm thinking, wait, I thought that he was the Tom Hanks character. Right. Oh, he is the Tom Hanks character, but he, he had to be an awful young. But I'm confused. That I didn't piece that together. Right. Um, but that, that and then the, the Jangles thing, too. Mr. Jangles thing. I mm-hmm. him being I didn't remember that from the first time. Maybe There's, I was just so emotionally straught, distraught from coffee dying, there's apparently but. a whole reddit or at least reddit thread where people speculate on how long uh paul what's his name paul i forget his yeah, name, I his how, name. how you say and for a long time name. i think his name was other they were calling him paul at first but i had to look it up is paul uh, yeah paul yeah. um how long he lived how how long how long he'll actually live in the yeah that, it's that, a weird Oh, because of the mouse, right? The, the right. fact that the mouse was still living. Right. How long does a mouse... And so, like, I'm sure people have done that math, and they're like, you know... Right. What the things crazy internet people do, which is... Now, it, that was, that was such a neat... Uh, here he is. There was a little thing he didn't need to say. doesn't need to put anything that Stephen King put at the very end. A little comment on immortality. Right. right? I mean, it had nothing to do with the, anything, except it was a, it was a point. And, you know, he, he's... The last, what, four minutes or something, he's... Yeah. This all of a sudden you have sympathy for a character that could live forever and is it good and it's bad like wow you didn't have to say this really deep interesting thing but you just did you know I was... I think I think the ending would be missing a lot without it I think it would be like if it just ends with the execution like if you don't have the frame story mm-hmm. of him older I think you get to the end and you're like what was the point of that like these these guys in a prison and there's this guy who works miracles and they execute him. Yeah, I, I honestly because I didn't remember the framing part of it, um, that was my last experience of watching it. Was the idea he just ended, and I yeah. and I've been the last what ten twenty years that I, since then that was my thought memory of it was that it just ended with him dying and the point was was that um, you know this sad thing happened to a good person. That's what was my memory. But now having right. this book ended, watching it again and having this see this perspective, it did add a, a bunch to me, you know, to my experience this time of, oh, that's so interesting. And he's living through it. It's almost like a penance. But, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's so he calls, it, he calls it his atonement, his atonement. Yeah. Like that's so incredibly interesting. And it makes this movie so incredibly interesting. All of it is. You know, there's mm-hmm. so much thought to think about when you're done watching this show um, and make you feel good, bad, interesting, especially the John Coffey character of, you know, the, mm-hmm. when he says, when he gives, delivers the line, it's like, it's like that all over the world, boss. It's all over the world. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> right, you know, um, I also just 
because I gotta I gotta ruin this conversation with a little more uh, technical how the sausage is made. Um, <laughs> the actor uh, Michael Clark Duncan. Yep. He's he's like the same height as the guy who plays Brute Br- Brutus the yeah I can't remember the big name. guard yeah and I so wonder how, using, how they did that what if they were intentionally doing they're using magic. special effects like force perspective and stuff to uh, to make him look like, like a giant seven feet tall yeah because he he was like a giant because I, I seven think, or seven I or eight him being feet in other tall, movies like, and he's a he's big guy big. but I didn't think he was that big no no yeah not compared to Tom Hanks who's not a short guy. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So, so they, so speaking of corollary between Saving Private Ryan, the, the, who's that actor? He was the, the young guard. He's been in a couple of things, but he was also in Saving Private Ryan. He's the sniper guy. Yeah. Sniper guy. He's um, got a weird look. Like it's a foxy, sly look. Like, like he looks like a fox is one thing. You know, um, he just got yeah. a, he looks like a dirk. Uh, <laughs> Barry Pepper. He was in True Grit. Um, I don't know. Bunch he has stuff. quite a look. He's quite got a, quite a different kind of look to him. And and yeah. I, I I don't know of him being a great actor or a bad actor. But every time I see him in a movie, he's like, oh, that guy is was in other movies, <laughs> right? Uh, so yeah. it, it, he was he had a good role in this one too, an interesting kind of type thing. And all of the the characters were pretty unique with their like the old guy and the. Um, had his parts and yeah, good, good movie. So, all right. In final judgments, is this a bucket list movie, a good movie, or a movie you could pass on? Well, I think it's a bucket list movie for sure. I I definitely wouldn't say that this is one you you could watch multiple times, but not in a bad way. I mean, right, in a very respectful way. That you know, mm-hmm. watch this movie once. Definitely watch this movie once. I couldn't uh, you, help. You deserve it. Yeah, for me, I couldn't help comparing this movie to Shawshank. Um, sure, sure. Um, and while Shawshank has its rough moments, I think it's a much more positive, maybe maybe even uplifting uh, kind of story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, uh, especially in, in contrasting those two, I think you should watch Shawshank first. But I think this is a bucket list. Like once maybe twice if you're doing a podcast with a movie challenge. <laughs> right. right. Um, yeah. I don't think I would have ever watched this movie again. And and I'm not, no, I'm not right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I did mention in our little talk here that I, I did it. It did enhance it for me watching it a second time. So it's not a yeah. bad thing that I did, but I, I could have not watched this. I could have only watched this once in my life and still felt very good from the lessons. I want to say or I, the thing, the message it was telling me. Yeah. When I told my siblings that I was watching this, for the podcast, they both were like, "Yeah, I saw that already. I'm good." And they're yeah, like, they're like, "What is this? This is over three hours long." Yeah, I'm I'm good. Uh, yeah, and, and that's I sort an of had that same thing. Like, I kept I kept checking the time. I'm like, "Oh man, so much has happened, and there's already and there's still an hour and fifty minutes left." Like, yeah, yeah but I agree. As it got into the third act, as it got toward the end, I still was fully engaged. It was like one in the morning, and because I waited until the last minute to watch it. Um, and I was like, man, this is all still so compelling. Um, and there's nothing, there's nothing you could have cut. So yeah, yeah you, for you, me, you, it, uh, it's, it's worth, it's list. worth the, the hours. It's worth the time investment. And as your siblings, they have every right to say, no, I pass. Cause I, 
I would probably pass you. If it was on TV, I'm not sure I would stop and watch it all again. Right. Um, but that's, again, I can't say that's an insult to it. I'm not, I don't want that to be like, oh, it's, you know, it's fine. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's definitely uh, happily it's just, if epic you're go, enough. If you're going into it, understand that it's, that it's long. Uh, the pacing is relaxed, um, but it's all, it's all, it's all really good. And it's all worth uh, it. It's all worth your time invest. That is a three hour show that is worth your time to sit and watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. So next week, let's, uh, let's go back and watch Toy Story. The new, oh, uh, the new fourth installment in that franchise is, is coming out this weekend. Um, I don't know that I need to watch this again. I have seen it hundreds of times, but uh, <laughs> quote the whole thing verbatim, probably. And this is an OG what, original one, right? Not like what are you looking at, you hockey two. puck? <laughs> so good. Well, the, uh, uh, I'm gonna. Sid's gone. I'm, I've got. I've I've had. Uh, Maybe it'll be different dropped... for me now. Recognizing that pig as the mailman from Cheers. Oh, I see. I I did the whole John Ratzenberger. I mean, like, I. I I didn't remember Cheers when I was, I mean, I wasn't a kid when this came out. I was a teenager, but yeah. my younger siblings watch it all the time. We only had one TV, so oh, right. I watched it a lot. Yeah, I, I, I definitely knew Ratzenberger is from the first one, because I, I did watch Cheers a lot growing up. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the so I, I knew his voice immediately. And I still, every time I see any Pixar thing, because he's in every, you know he's in every Pixar movie, right? Like, everyone ever made oh, Ratzenberger yeah. now, has a part. Now that I'm thinking back, I can I can picture the random... Uh, uh, characters. Yeah, and even in the ones where they don't have very much talking, like uh, Wally, he's the guy. He's the human. Like there's a mm, guy and mm-hmm. a girl. He's the one of the guys. So, yeah. um, it's yeah, it's he's in in all this. But uh, the now that Sid's gone, I, a while back I had I used to have um, don't want to go too much in this, but I used to have YouTube. Uh, it's the TV, TV YouTube TV. And it was like 30, 35 bucks a month. And I enjoyed it. It's a good service, but I got rid of it. Mm-hmm. But instead, I, I just spent, took that money and allocated it to the A-list for AMC since I watch movies. And right. uh, now that it's gone, I'm, I'll randomly will be going to the movies a lot more. Um, okay. And I think that I'm going to um, – I'll be able to watch that and uh, like Dark Phoenix and a lot of these summer movies coming through. Um, the, that being Toy Story 4. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to watch that pretty soon this week maybe i can watch that and the original toy story uh, this will be inter- interesting for me to watch toy story 4 because toy story 3 felt like a end cap to this whole like thing right like toy yeah. story 3 closed the story very well it's gonna be weird to see what toy story 4 is all gonna be if it'll be okay but i have faith in pixel <laughs> okay so toy story we're right up. on toy story Okay, uh, we got just a little bit of time. I don't think we... Do you have anything more you wanted to say about E3? Uh, I know we ended last week with this, like, hey, we'll talk about it uh, some more, and I was really excited about it. Uh, I don't know if there's a lot to say about E3, except that um, it's an interesting thing. I like to kind of compare it to Gen Con. Uh, here, let me ask you about that. Like, E3 every year is this time when we video games and we get a large deluge of, of video game information coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of criticism about B3 and the fact that it's a lot of money that sure. in a, in a place to go to and to advertise for game companies when yeah. they can, in this day and age, you don't need that anymore. You just drop a thing on the internet on YouTube for free. Yeah. 
and you yeah. get that same kind of a hype type thing because it's not like just the small niche of people are, are on the internet anymore. Like everyone's on the internet. You know, mom yeah, and pops I and mean, grandmas and grandpas it, are on, the, on there. It differs from a time. Um, what did we say? There's a there's an equivalent of this that is movie uh, focus where people see trailers before yeah. trailers were on the internet. All of this information would be at this these kind of conventions and you wouldn't get access to it if you were a normal mm-hmm. person who didn't go i used to dream um, about going to e3 and ces you know it was because that's what you got to do and see and yeah i not every year but for the last couple of years i for me that one is is blizzcon i'm like man this seems but then there are so many people that go to that at like sells out right away and it's mm-hmm. a giant crowd and i'd have to fly to california and i'm like yeah that's probably never gonna happen but um i don't know it's just a it's just a thing people do i I wouldn't compare it to gen con because gen con doesn't have a like or if they do i don't know anything about it they don't have like big stage announcement presentations like it's well, more like it's it's more like uh you know something that started out like your icg con you know mm-hmm. a group of people getting together and just grew from there over 25 years or or whatever um, well that's that's kind of where my point is here is that actually it was it really was an announcement event um up until okay fourth edition happened of D, and about two years after that wizards of the coast pulled out of of there and after they pulled out some other bigger companies pulled out too, but prior to the, like Wizards pulling out, Gen Con every year used to be a huge announcement thing where board game companies would come out and make huge presentations on a big stage. Hmm. And, and I remember Fourth Edition was a perfect example is that they, they had a massive screen up in the Sagamore Ballroom where they used to have all the, the RPGA stuff. And it was a big stage and it was like a big rock star presentation where they came out and announced it and showed it and stuff. And everybody screamed just like you see on E3. Um, and there were several other companies that would put up like the, the Magic the Gathering stuff would have huge statues and big presentations where they would sh- uh, uh, release the new card things that are coming out. And it was a big thing that everyone would save of the board game industry for Gen Con. And you could go to Gen Con and get to see these new release things that were just in pre-beta and for the first time ever and sometimes even buy them months before they were ever actually released to the normal person. Um, and I loved, loved, loved that about Gen Con. It was, it was can you get tickets to into the Hall H type thing uh, for Gen Con? And then they just stopped doing that. These big companies stopped mm. coming. And then but Gen Con has had has a something that the E3 doesn't have is that Gen Con you go and you actually participate and there's events and you play. It's about interacting a lot, right? Does does E3 not have demos and uh... it it has a dealer hall. It's 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 like just the size of kind of Gen Con does. So it has that aspect, but it doesn't have the the other side to it. It doesn't have the like sign up to play Street Fighter tournaments and things like that. Mm. You know, I know that I know that for BlizzCon they have historically done it in conjunction with big tournaments like Starcraft and Hearthstone tournaments. Do they? Okay. Uh, even there are like, there's some kind of competitive rating and arena PVP for Warcraft. Um, 
I've always wondered that about like a Blizzard of the Storm, what they, what they do. Um, and then when they have new stuff, they they have show floor demos, right? Like well before games go into like online public betas, they'll have like people could play. Oh, right, right. Okay. Uh, uh, Diablo Immortal, not Immortal. What's it called? The yeah, Immortal, the the mobile game. Right. People could play that at Gen Con last year, not Gen Con. BlizzCon. At BlizzCon. Yeah, I re- actually remember um, when it was either Cataclysm or Lich, Wrath of the Lich King. I think it was Lich King. BlizzCon had first started happening then, and that's when people like got to see the talent trees of the Death Knight. And that was, you only got to see that at, at BlizzCon. Um, and I remember that feeling of like, oh, that'd been nice to go for that. But, you know, you don't, you don't get to, um, uh, you know, at Gen Con, you don't always get those, but you used to, you used to. So I guess the idea is that at E3, um, there used to be times when, um, or it was major announcements and they kind of stopped doing that in lieu of large companies just having their own things and dropping stuff on, on YouTube as opposed to, you know, having an event. And I just don't know how long E3 is going to, going to continue on with it. Like they yeah, used to. it's it's interesting. Different companies do different things. It's a it's an awkward time. I think I said this last week. We're you know we're at the end of life phase for both Xbox One and the PS4. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those companies are going to be launching their new consoles within the next year. year yeah, didn't and a half. didn't Xbox wasn't that what the big announcement E3? They they showed their new they they showed their specs, but there's a you know there's an awkward competition between them and Sony because Sony pulled out of E3, but released the specs of their PlayStation five or whatever. Um, And so when Microsoft takes the stage and says, we're going to do this, this, and this, it sounds just like the PlayStation stuff, which, you know, you know that they're both heading in the same direction and they have sort of parody in their features, but Microsoft announcing their features is a lot is kind of lackluster when you just heard, sony say the same thing yeah it's it's weird because what's interesting or more exciting i guess by some me for sure about this next generation of consoles is that sony and microsoft have a totally different relationship than they've had in the past it's becoming a cooperative type thing yeah that's i don't we don't really have time to get into this but um sony is apparently going to use or they're going to partner with Microsoft for the networking component of their game streaming service to compete with Stadia and yeah. whatever Apple's thing is called. That's huge. Uh, that's, which that's which is weird. Thing. Like most people said, they're probably going to try and partner with um, with Amazon because they're the only player, like major internet player, not mm-hmm. in this space. Like Google's doing their thing, Microsoft's doing their thing. Well, who's left with a major network? infrastructure presence well amazon right um so who knows maybe amazon is working on their own thing they'll have fire gaming or something uh, yeah i just i just think it's a it's a neat thing and google is no joke with their stadia stuff that they're they're working through and it's it's an ex- it is an exciting thing i'm I, at the as consoles go along i really fall in love with the console system generation that i'm at I feel comfortable. I, I like my games. I like my stuff. And I don't mm-hmm. I mean, it used to be way back in the day when your graphics jump was massive between console systems that when a new console system came up, it was 
oh my god, a whole different world. It's not really like that these days. It's not like no, it's, you know, it's, you're getting you get you get diminishing returns. The big, I think, the big jump in this next generation is going to be going from, um, uh, what's the word? The cloud. traditional traditional disc uh, drives to solid state. Oh sure, right. But that's hard to see in a demo. Like, you know, they're talking about stuff like load times are going to be faster. Transitions between stages. You can have a big game without having to load between different areas. And you yeah. can, you know, all that kind of stuff. But that's not as flashy as, like, look at this graphics. Yeah, look at the difference upgrade. between PlayStation and, and Super Nintendo. Yeah, it's, it's not like yeah. that. Or, like, but, like, the first time I played a Super Nintendo after playing the NES, I was like, what the background moves in in oh yeah not in lock with the background's not static it's like has layers it felt 3d yeah the sound is stereo what is this yeah yeah so so they they, because of the lack of the the real flashiness it's really caused the last say two to three generations at least of of consoles to be this like i don't really want a new i do want a new console thing but i don't need it um but this time is is different if not for just one thing, if it's not that all consoles are doing backwards compatibility. I mean, there, I, I, I don't know what spurred the difference thought processes with these companies. Now it's probably competition, but um, everyone is going this like, Hey, just because you we're we're moving up. Doesn't mean that you, you need to like do away with your old stuff. We're still going to let you um, play your old games. And I know that wasn't a, that wasn't a philosophy for a long, long time. You get a new Xbox One, your 360 games don't work with it. You know, we're right. We're done. Now it's, you know, Sony's like, no, no, no. You can still play your PlayStation 3 stuff. It's totally fine. And Xbox the same way. It's like, oh, yeah, your games. And that a lot of that is because of the the digital revolution, I guess. It's the fact that you bought it. There's no reason why you can't play it because it's cloud state. It's cloud computing now. And, and architecture mm-hmm. is becoming much more homogenous with, you know, how as long as you are. as long as you have a good enough internet connection as long as you have a good enough internet connection so anyway that's it's exciting and that's something new that's different uh out of e3 all right cool cool well we'll have to i don't have much to say about umbrella academy but we'll save that for next week sure I gotta i gotta take a break before we play star trek tonight oh yeah i got some star trek happening yeah all right you good wrap this yeah. up yeah i think i think we're good i'm excited we are we are doing a a Klingons and Dragons episode following this one, which is the first time we've done a back-to-back being on a podcast thing for many, many hours. Of course, we are always on there every week. But this is going to be fun to go from the front porch straight into Klingons and Dragons tonight. <laughs> are, you, are you prepared as co-hosting and then now uh, GMing a, a thing? Are you ready to... Yeah, I went I went through my notes again last night, so I'm good. Right, so we'll, we'll start this when you guys get to the episodes of Klingons and Dragons. Whenever this gets published there, it'll be like a link-up type thing hey they just did this and now they're going into that so yeah the, i mean the episode the klingons and dragons episode we're playing tonight will not be on the internet until like 2020 but uh, <laughs> right. when we get done with our 2020 challenge right so it takes a long time between us getting together to play and then even longer uh for me to for me to publish edit and publish because it's a lot of editing but, right right anyway all right <laughs> you've been listening to the front porch this is episode 95 Thanks, as always, to our friends at Geek Scholars Movie News. Check them out. They have uh, film news headlines. I always mess up that that tag. Whatever. <laughs> Check them out. They talk about movies. They're much more concise than we are. Uh, as mentioned, we have another show, Klingons and Dragons. 
It is a Star Trek Adventures role-playing podcast. It's not safe for work. There are a lot of terrible mom jokes. <laughs> uh, if that sounds interesting to you, check it out. If you have questions or comments, feedback on the show, you can email us, frontporchpod at gmail.com. Over on our website, frontporchpodcast.com, we got contact forms. got the schedule for the 100 movies. It's a little thrown off because of the double features that we did, but I'll get that sorted out before this episode airs. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, anywhere podcasts are found. Thanks as always for listening, and until next time, I'm Dennis. And I'm Michael. For the front porch. Night, everybody. See you next time. Thank you.